I've had a cold and the last thing it wants to give me back is my voice. Much to my children's glee. I was talking to a friend recently about how the minutia of life, sort of the admin and ongoing surprises can be a bit much. <clears throat> Paperwork, you know, things like that. Mail and uh, passwords and such like. And she sent me a meme the next day that said, I don't want to enter my two-factor auth uh, auth uh, auth excuse me, authenticity <laughs> code, my 2FA code. I want to feed an apple to a horse. Yeah. And I was, despite my inability to say that out loud, uh, it struck me and I can't stop sort of thinking about how I just want to feed an apple to a horse <laughs> instead of do all the other things, you know. <clears throat> and particularly, you know, when we're busy and we're, uh, it's cold season, energy just gets lower and lower, and then we have to sort of prioritize and triage and figure out what, what we can do, what we can't do, what we can give our attention to, what has to stand aside for the moment. And what's helped me uh, over the years is uh, some advice from one of the monastics in our tradition. And I, I can't remember who it was. Um, but he said, oh, when, when you have really low energy, use it to be kind. So prioritize kindness. So in our in our lives, in our lives, in our um, culture, uh, we tend to prioritize productivity, uh, even as um, even as people maybe who aren't in the workforce or you know are retired or um, aren't required to give that much yet or now. Uh, we're really trained to prioritize productivity. And so when we are down or ill or have low energy, uh, that's where we start to triage. You know, how can I keep up my productivity in this area, let these things go, get back to this later, at this first? And for me, you know, when I'm prioritizing productivity and efficiency, uh, kindness drops really quickly. 
down the list, I start to get snappy, unkind, impatient, easily frustrated. So I've tried to train myself to move toward uh, kindness when I'm low energy or when irritation is coming up uh, because I can't figure out what to prioritize. And I think it surprises my family sometimes even. Like this morning, um, I asked my son to get out of my room, get off his phone. And he said, well, I wasn't, I wasn't on my phone. I was looking in the mirror, which is not a surprise. I said, I said, don't, don't look in my mirror. You'll crack it with your beautiful smile. And he just, he wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting it, actually. I was just kind of annoyed. But, you know, little by little, I've, over the years, I've been training myself to, to try to root out that um, irritation response with kindness and even make it uh, the, the cause, even make irritation the cause <laughs> of a kindness response. The CS Lewis, I think, was is famous for a, a phrase, a book, Tell me if I'm wrong. Is it not C.S. Lewis? Surprised by joy. Is that C.S. Lewis? Yeah. Surprised by joy. And that phrase uh, has been the framework of my practice. Surprised by joy. In our house, we talk about being surprised by something negative how much worse it is to be surprised by something negative than it is to be just to know something tough is coming down the pipeline. Just stub your toe, that's the worst, you know, to be surprised by pain. So um, it mm. sort of throws us off. You know, we were just walking along and for a snack, right? that's just me. And, you know, we, we bump our foot, stub our toe, and it's, this, it's a surprise pain. Surprise pain can really knock the ground out from under us. It's surprise emotional pain or surprise physical pain. And surprise mental pain. Uh, it just makes the ground shake a little bit. 
takes us out of our equilibrium. <clears throat> and I think the same is true of being surprised by joy. It just shakes us out of our day-to-day uh, -day, mm, routine or attitude or whatever we normally at our baseline bring to the tasks of our day, uh, being surprised by joy can shake it up. And even uh, reorient us, put us on a new path. And in this tradition, you know, in this not in this tradition, but in, in this practice, uh, we're taught to <clears throat> really rely on ourselves to create happiness. So we certainly rely on ourselves to create problems. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're also expected to find ways to follow the Buddha's path uh, and to create our own happiness. And as we, <clears throat> as we put in those causes and create those conditions, uh, the results aren't going to be apparent all of the time. So, you know, we're practicing generosity and we're practicing letting go and we're practicing, you know, maybe with the precepts and we're practicing meditation and, <clears throat> you know, we're practicing uh, right effort and we're practicing being in a community and uh, pretty soon we're sick of practicing. <laughs> we just want to win the game, you know, <laughs> all this practice for. <laughs> My son is in um, crew, and he loves practice, but he doesn't like regattas. <laughs> this practice is fun. It's where your friends are. It's low stakes. It's, you know, doing ergs in the gym. And uh, regattas are cold, <laughs> cold, wet, <laughs> high stakes experiences. Uh -huh. But as we move along, as we practice, we don't always see the results of the practice coming up uh, in any kind of uh, A to B to C, any kind of linear way. But what happens for me a lot is that um, I get surprised by joy. I got surprised by um, a, a response to something that's come up that I, I didn't even know I was working toward. I didn't know I was cultivating. Or maybe I thought I was cultivating, but I certainly didn't know that it had come to fruition. In this tradition, um, we use the word sata, sata, 
And uh, it's one of the factors of enlightenment, something foundational to our practice and our progress. And it's often translated uh, to faith. And faith in the Western world has, you know, all these sort of connotations and overlays and everybody here has a relationship. Everybody everywhere has a relationship to the word faith, probably slightly different from one person to the next to the next. And often uh, in our tradition, in this lineage, it's translated as confidence. So it's, it has less of a feeling of kind of hope or um, grasping at the unknown uh, as it does recognizing we have confidence that when we put in the causes and conditions for happiness, the results will follow. That's sada, that's faith as we know it, as we practice it in this tradition. So we don't always have to see that uh, linear movement, that clear conclusion, the ripening of kama before our eyes. Instead, you know, if we've chosen to follow the Buddha's teachings, the Four Noble Truths, the, eight, uh, the uh, eight Step Noble Path, we can have faith, we can have confidence that happiness will arise. And some ways to build that confidence, to build that faith, are to kind of look at our examples. The, the Buddha followed a path, became happy, and taught that path to other people. Thousands of people since then people living today, people just a little bit further ahead on the path than we are, <clears throat> we can see that people who follow the path get a little bit happier, a little bit calmer, a little bit more able to respond appropriately in the moment. And if we're paying attention, we'll see that that's happening for us as well. And so we don't have uh, faith that something will come out of nowhere. I sort of um, stopped hoping. No, I don't really believe in hope. <laughs> dropped hope <laughs> when I started this practice. 
or maybe like a few years in, I was like, there's no hope. <laughs> there's only doing the next right thing that will create the causes for happiness. And so we can have confidence, we can have faith in ourselves. It's hard. <laughs> we, can't, we can't quite get there. We can have faith in the Buddhist teachings. Oh, if I do this, happiness will follow. I'll just keep doing this and not look for the outcome. I'm not going to worry about the outcome. Just do this and this and this and this. And eventually, in my experience, I'm surprised by joy. And then that, um, and then that experience, that embodied experience of joy, further strengthens my faith. Because it's not until we see it for ourselves that we can really believe it's happening. So we can you know, have faith in our, the paths of our teachers and of the Buddha and of the teachings. Uh, but the practice is what builds faith in ourselves. It's what builds faith in our abilities to do the next skillful action. Ajahn Tanisaro, who comes here in the fall every year, he, uh, he's the abbot of Metaphorist Monastery, and he uh, spends a lot of time cultivating and teaching metta, teaching kindness, teaching loving kindness and goodwill. And <clears throat> he says, you know, for difficult people, we can't wish them well. If we can't bring up goodwill, if it's too far off. He says, wish them, wish for them that they see the causes of happiness and cultivate them. May they see the causes for happiness and cultivate them. <clears throat> and I think, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm my most difficult person a lot of the time. I don't have big enemies. <laughs> some difficult people in my life. Everybody has some, but really I make most of the problems I have. And so that's a way even for myself that I can uh, gain some objectivity, stop shaming and shooting, and just wish for myself, offer myself the wish. You know, may you know the causes of happiness, what causes happiness, and act on those causes. And in this, framework in this tradition in Buddhism. Uh, and we talk about the three-legged stool of merit, you know, sila, so our moral integrity, moral framework, 
how we act in relationship to other people. Uh, Donna, generosity. And Bhavana, the cultivation of this practice, uh, following the steps, uh, doing meditation. Sila, Donna, and Bhavana are the kind of the three-legged stool of merit. And, you know, it says in the suttas, don't be afraid of merit. It's just another word for happiness. So we just kind of break it down to the simple things. Being, being good, you know, doing good, offering what we can, letting go, and then paying attention uh, so that when the results arise, we can enjoy them. We can notice our own happiness. And, uh, you know, repeat it. <laughs> repeat the steps. Do it again. You know, it's one thing to learn from our mistakes. We're all taught to learn from our mistakes. But we can really, really learn from what we do well if we're watching, paying attention, noticing, taking note. What made this better? What created this joy? What caused this to arise? Let me do that again. Let me add something to it. Oh, a few years ago, uh, I decided that actually the point of my practice was to have a good death. You know, in the beginning, I was hoping it would just make me less irritating to other people. <laughs> and so, it's a, you know, I've come a long way in my goals. <laughs> and um, an early Buddhist experience, I call, it, I call it my earliest Buddhist experience, one of my early, earliest Buddhist experiences, I wasn't a Buddhist at all, and neither was anybody in the room or in the situation, but uh, my grandfather died. And uh, I was in my late teens or something, early 20s. And uh, he had a really good death. He was uh, at home. He was surrounded by family. Uh, we each got some time with him. And uh, we were just all there in his home together. <clears throat> My mom says she remembers me <laughs> laying in his bed, sort of, this does sound like me, sort of head to foot, you know, just kind of like chatting with him and talking to him and I probably did that. We all took turns saying goodbye. And it was, a, it was a really good death. And it was, you know, because he had had a really good life of, uh, of being kind and helpful and, you know, bringing happiness to his family members. <clears throat> so I sort of think about that and other 
experiences. And I think about what, you know, where I want my life to be when I die and um, how I want people to feel when they think about me, when they're there. But more than that, I think, um, you know, in the Buddhist cosmology, if, if you die uh, in a space of, you know, true happiness or true skillfulness, you know, you're, you're headed to a better life. Um, but we don't actually know what's next. And uh, so for me, that happiness that we're cultivating, that true happiness, that kindness and goodwill, it touches everyone around us through our whole lives. And so for me, what it, what it means is helping facilitate the happiness of countless other beings. Well, like um, James recently, uh, you said, that um, you, you, you listen to and read these teachings and you put them into practice and you're more or less happy all the time now. And you said that recently. And it's still blowing my mind. You know, you, I've been thinking about that for weeks. <laughs> that, and that, that you're aware of that, that you put these, these practices or these teachings into practice and the readings into practice, and you're pretty much happy all the time now. And just the profound effect on me in that moment was I sort of opened my mind to the possibilities of this practice. And then all the people that we touch in the cultivation of our own happiness are going to feel that too, and it's going to ripple outwards. Uh, so, I mean, just in my, just to answer the question from my perspective, you know, the point of cultivating happiness to the end of our lives is to, uh, is to have it be touching everyone and everything as we go along.